A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to episode 88 of What Most People Think, coming to you on a Friday. Now, I know some people, this kind of messes with your week, you're like, shit, Jeff, I went jogging last night and I didn't have the podcast, or maybe I, I, I was going to say I had a little bit of sexy time with my wife, but that feels like something a younger comedian would say. I was fucking my wife. <laughs> oh, he's straight in with a swear word there. And your podcast wasn't there. Well, the reason that I've held back is because... Of the election results. I wanted to stick around to see what happened in Hartlepool principally, but obviously we've got local council things. So I'm recording this Friday morning. It's very live. We're in the studio here. Results are still coming in. And it's evidently being uh, presented by Michael McIntyre. <laughs> Did that sound like Michael McIntyre? Uh, I don't know, but uh, we're going to get on to all that. But suffice to say, wow, what, what a historic day. What a historic day. I mean, yet again... The left are out there, aren't they? Saying why? Why do the? Why won't these gullible fuckwits vote for us? I don't know. It's crazy, isn't it? Maybe every single time you lost an election and went online and called them gullible fuckwits, you kind of radicalised. You know, we've, you've made working class people almost like Tory jihadists. Stop calling them idiots. Anyway, we're going to get to all this, but it is astonishing that these so-called clever metropolitan types, you know, they keep doing exactly the same thing from exactly the same playbook and expecting different results. So we will get on to all that. And, you know, Jesus, fuck me. I mean, when you talk about working class voters going Tory, I mean, if only someone had a book coming out on that subject. I mean, just, oh, gosh, you'd want to read that book, wouldn't you? Hmm? But, uh, but first up, how's your week? I want to know how your week was. I would say if you're still being in pub gardens in the open air, in this weather of the last week, then you, you're a fucking alcoholic. That you can't keep dressing it up, that you're uh, supporting the pub economy or the economy generally or the local nightlife. You've, you've got a drink problem, okay? But I hope you've had a, a good week. Uh, just a little stray thought here. Have we got too many quiz shows on television? Just a, just a throwaway thought before we get into the heavy stuff. Uh, you know, like we... Is this a legacy of lockdown? Like, you know, we had those pub Zoom quizzes, you know, those online pub quizzes and... Is this like our equivalent of after the war? They all love sitting around the old Joanna, didn't they? You know, playing the old songs. Oh, Mother Kelly's doorstep down Faraday Road. Um, I don't understand any of those songs or why they like them. But I guess they were getting bombed to shit and they just had to sing about really, really weird trivial things. I like the clip in her hair. That's for another day. What I'm, what I'm wondering about is, is the quizzes. You know, we've got the chase, fucking chase the chaser, fucking... Beat the chaser, beat yourself off in front of the chaser. 
I just, it's so weird how we just want to be quizzed all the time. The new quiz format, new quiz format presented by a comedian. I guess what I'm saying is I'm not, I ain't got no for, quiz formats coming out. So I guess, I just think there's a way we've hit a bit of a saturation point uh, uh, with quizzes. And I find it strange how when your commissioner's sitting there thinking about what people in TV are going to like for the next five years, turns out what we mainly want to do is be asked questions, programmes about Yorkshire and tell us stuff about the royal family that we already fucking knew. So this is what most people think. This is the, this is definitely the podcast that you want to be listening to if you want to understand how the Tories, the, the evil, sleazy, let the bodies pile high Tories could win Hartlepool. So stay tuned for that. Quick thanks to last week's guest, Athena Kablenu. There you go. This is Athena's probably the kind of person the Labour Party could do with a left winger who includes people in her argument and wins people over based on the feedback that I got. A lot of people were very kind of switched on to what she was saying and liked the way that she communicated. Uh, we do have a cuss count for last week, and it is low. It is low. 0.4 a minute. Shameful. Shameful. I slipped out, eh? One innuendo. And two swears to Athena. It would have been free, but one swear was removed for legal reasons. But uh, that puts her, two swears puts her alongside Marcus Brigstock and Leo Kurs. So in very mixed company uh, politically there. A plug for an old episode, which I will possibly mention later if we've got time with men's mental health, is the Matt Marnie episode. Um, hang on, I need to tell you which one that was. That is episode 85, and uh, we've just been getting a lot of feedback from that, a lot of messages in, a lot of emails. By the way, if you want to email about anything in the show, what most people think, uk at gmail.com. And yeah, a lot of people felt that that was sort of a, a kick up the arse to, to sort of try and improve the way that they felt, and I'm going to talk about that later um, if we have time. New Patreons, we've got Paul Anderson. I don't know why, but Paul Anderson sort of sounds like uh, an Australian filmmaker, you know, like an action filmmaker. The new film from Paul Anderson, starring Jason Statham. And definitely not Keir Starmer based on the boxing video, which we will come to. I had a lot of emails about that because we did a who would win in a fictional fight. And I think I backed Starmer and there may be a revision coming up later in the show. Uh, we also got Annabelle Andrew. Annabelle Andrew. Is that, are you just a couple, Annabelle? And you're like, we just, you know, we just, did you, Annabelle, tell me this. Be honest, Annabelle. Are you the kind of couple where you went on a stendu? You ever heard of these where it's a stag and a hen do together? And you always see when the couple, the kind of couple that announced this is blatantly coming from the woman. Like she, she don't trust him. She don't really, she don't find her friend's company that good. She kind of likes having dudes around. She's like, we, we just thought we'd do a stendu because we kind of got the same friends. And you just see his fucking neutered face just nodding along like he, like he didn't want to go to a strip club, you know. And I've got to say, if you're a guy that has ever considered a stendu, just remember, a stag do, it's not about you, mate. Okay, you're getting married, you've got your big day out. It's about a group of your middle-aged friends that want the opportunity for a day-night pass and to get a fucking lap dance, okay? Stop being selfish, Andrew. I don't even know. Maybe, of course, Andrew is a surname. Annabelle, it's a great name. If I was a girl, I'd want a pretty name like Annabelle because you can you can get loads of different names out of that. Anna, Bella, well, like, you can get two names. <laughs> I should have thought that through before I started it. And then we've got John Perkin. I don't know you, John, but I am getting strong senior position at local council vibes from John Perkin. Yeah, you need to speak about, uh, speak to John Perkin about that. He's, uh, he's head of housing and resettlement. Resettlement at local council. Yeah, look, he does stuff for the UN. So the book is out in just a week. The book is out. There was an article in the... I've put here MOS... 
And I can't help but think my uh, Ministry of Sound. It wasn't that. It was the Mail on Sunday. We got uh, a lot of positive feedback for that. Uh, but when I looked on the Mail on Sunday website, there were already over 2,000 comments. And you know what? I've been doing this long enough. And I'm smart, I'm smart enough to not open that Pandora's box. And, they, you know, everyone was positive. I'll explain to you about how serialization works, because I didn't really understand this either. Is what they do is they get somebody to read the whole book, and then they kind of do a patchwork of the whole book. So a lot of people thought, I, I wrote that as an article. No, they were little bits of the book that they pulled out uh, and paraphrased. So it sort of gives a sense of certain bits of the book, but I'd certainly encourage you to read the whole thing, uh, because it's it's got probably... I mean, like, one of the bits that they pulled out in it was me going off on one about my mum wearing a dressing gown till nine till later, beyond 9am. And I would say that I, I do... I am very prejudiced against dressing gown wearing beyond a point, but that is certainly not the, the full picture of my mum as evidenced uh, by by the book. And obviously... And, I, and part of the reason I included it was I just thought it was funny, like it was an early example of me being a bit of a judgy little bastard like of what, what age was I 11 at that time just standing there with my little double rucksack on both hands judging a fully grown woman for her decision so so it, yeah the article was good uh, I, I thought it was it was great to get it out there but I think I would encourage you to read the whole book and stuff because it does develop on a few of those themes so coming up we will obviously be talking about uh, the reaction to Hartlepool and by-election stuff and a short bit on the the war of Jersey the battle of Jersey the the conflict. I mean, it's almost like a, a, a modern conflict, isn't it? What, what what we think poses existential risk to us is actually just this. I mean, it was almost like, in terms of military battles, it was almost like a Twitter beef, wasn't it? It was basically on that fucking level. But we will speak to that about that. Uh, but first up, before we get into the politics, a thank you and a fuck you. A thank you to my son. He did show and tell uh, this week at school. And I was discussing it on Twitter. He wanted to talk about my job. So he took a few photos and he took one of my microphones. And yes, we do have microphones, comedians, sort of like always ready to work. You know, you've got to be in this in this current climate. It's like it's like comedy's like Batman. If there's somebody shines a, a microphone into the sky, I've got to be ready to be dispatched. But he took the microphone with him. And I was joking about, oh, should I get him to plug the book? You know, because I shamelessly plug stuff the whole time. Uh, at the end and they did a little video of the school and I watched it and he only went and did it he said at the end I mean he did brilliantly talking about my job and then he said and you should tell your mummies and daddies to buy the book which sort of suggests that I've been talking about pressure on sales a bit too much at home as I reflect on it in the moment and he also did a little joke now I you know being a pro being daddy I plotted him up with a little dad joke there I said look son you can use this one kids love dinosaurs so the joke that you really want to do is you want to say uh what is uh, which dinosaur does the biggest poos first up mentioning poo you're in a good area there so which which dinosaur does the biggest poos triceratops okay you can have that one that is a jeff norcott original all dads out there uh mums as well but look don't don't fucking tread on our toes ladies we don't have much um but he only went on he only went with his own gag he went with his own gag he's gone yeah you know what, old man yeah, you might work for all these TV shows, writing on stuff, and you might have done TV appearances yourself on, you know, Mock the Week and The Mass Report. But I think I'll go with my own instincts here. And he did a joke, which was quite surreal. So when I was listening to it, I, I sort of was tensed. I was hoping he'd get a good reaction. He fucking killed it. The kids laughed and laughed and laughed. So I guess what he's saying is, yeah, yeah, Dad, it's a different generation. I'm one of these more surreal vibe comedians coming through. Your stuff's a bit trad. But my God, I was so proud of him. Not just for the way... He spoke to a group of people, but the fact that he, he plugged my tour and my book, what an absolute legend. Uh, just a quick fuck you to my body. I've been doing cricket nets uh, over the last few weeks, getting back into it. You know, it's got, 
bit of bowling, bit of batting, and um, you know, in, in your forties, you feel stuff. And I, you know, I've I've, ate, I've had aches and pains the following day after every single one. I mean, I say aches and pains. That does not even begin to cover it. You should see the way I'm getting up and walking in, in the morning, like I've got fucking rickets. Um, <laughs> is it you allowed to say that? I don't know, but. Um, but the, um, last night, I did this shot, right? And I, I was batting terribly, bowling terribly. It was really starting to piss me off. And then I saw a wide one, and I thought, I'm going to get I'm gonna get bat on ball with this. So I stretched out, and I made a good connection, middled it. But my God, you know the age like I am now? I felt it wasn't an injury. I just felt that I'd used a muscle group that I probably hadn't used since I was 11. Do you know what I mean? Probably last used when I was fucking hula hooping. You know, remember you did that as a sports school? And just in the moment, I was just like, yeah, going to pay for that, going to pay for that. And there's all these teenage lads at the other end going, shot, mate, shot, mate. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll probably call this last two, yeah? Probably call this last two. Now, we've only been in for four minutes. So I'm like, yeah, you, you kids, you kids, you need a bat. You know how it is. Okay, right, let's get into the politics now and talk about the fallout from the Hartlepool by-election and some of the local council results. Okay, so as I say, as we're recording this, what is it? It's currently 11am on Friday and we've got some results in and it does seem that Labour... I'm not, I'm not, I'm not glorifying in this, okay? I'm, look, I, I like good democracy. I like there to be strong opposition. However, I've got to be honest, Labour doing badly is banter. I, I know that's childish and stuff, but it's just the way that they turn. It's just the way they turn on each other. It's so, it's so weird because they're supposed to be like the same thing and they're so... Clearly not. It's like it's like just seeing two siblings falling out. Like, you know, the liberal left one is like the mature one. Look, if you just let us be in power, you know, get Corbyn out, we'll be ahead by 20 points. And then the lefty one is the agitated, like, fuck you, man. You don't want to talk about it. You're so boring. It's such a suck up to dad. And then they just fall out publicly. And it is fucking hilarious, right? And then you get those people. And then you get the people that sort of turn on the electorate, as I mentioned in the intro, you gullible fuckwits. You gullible! You're so you're so easily duped. Uh, the this people of this country are so easily duped. I mean, obviously we can't dupe them, but they're so easily duped. Mm. You voted for the bodies par high in their thousands, guy, did you? Mm. Maybe, maybe they just took that as one comment and actually assessed the conservative government's approach to the pandemic as a whole. And let's be honest, there have been periods when it was up the shitter. But as this, these, you know, as this polling day occurred, things were a lot better than they were. I mean, this has been overlooked to a, a wild degree. We've slipped from our deaths per million were among the worst. And now that we're like 15th, you know, it's not fantastic, but we're ahead of a lot of, um, it's so terrible to talk about this in terms of league tables. Yeah, no, we pushed into the Champions League places past, we just nipped past Peru there. Yeah, obviously a good side on their day. But, um, and yeah, though we had this this update about the economy growing 7.25%. So I wasn't actually going to start with this, but let's talk about the immediate factors around this. The economy has been upgraded. Unemployment is now going to peak at 5.5%, which historically is not fucking high at all. Um, we also have a conservative government that people, they pay people's wages. Going into the pandemic, a lot of people just simply wouldn't have expected them to do that. And, you know, for all the talk that we've had over the last God knows how many years of the, the NHS is four seconds from obliteration yeah the Tories want to shut down the NHS if you give the Tories a chance they will annihilate the NHS and yet there's a lot of people on the right that think they probably went too far uh, in protecting it right so a lot of the old certainties have been 
vanquished. And then, you know, there's there's Brexit, which we were told, you know, there's there's also be people that have suffered at the hands of Brexit so far. It's probably a bit early to tell four and a half months into it how it's gone in the long run. But certainly some of the most apocalyptic views of Brexit haven't come to pass yet. The economy has already grown despite Brexit, despite uh, being shut down. And yes, you know, I know some people are sitting there go, but I read a, an article in The Guardian about a couple of fishermen. And you go, oh, look, I feel bad for the fishermen, but you have to look at the bigger picture when assessing whether something's gone well or badly, right? So that's the immediate circumstances that took us into the election. So is it that surprising that the party in power at a time when things are unlocking and things are going a bit better, did okay. And, you know, they talk, they point historically and say that the last time the Tories won in Hartlepool, Churchill was still alive. And uh, But on that note, John John McDonnell was still sitting there saying that, well, Labour just weren't left-wing enough. That's the problem. Oh, by the way, talking of that era of Labour politicians, Diane Abbott was on Five Live. And I don't give her much grief these days because I, I think that I have a lot of issues with her as a politician, but just the amount of stuff she gets online is just so fucking disproportionate. However, the interview she gave was just hilarious. Like it almost was like you were counting down the moments. I mean, she fucking hates Keir Starmer as well, which is really funny. Like the way that that simmers underneath the surface. You know, they said to her, well, do you support the leader? She went, I, he, he is the leader. <laughs> and she... She also seemed to think that Labour's the answer to all of this for Labour was to bring back Jeremy. She she got that in. Yeah, I think we need to restore the whip to Jeremy. <laughs> oh, what that geezer that uh, basically a year and a half ago, Labour had their worst result in fucking decades. That what the geezer that was uh, had the whip taken away for his, you know, complicity in the rise of anti-Semitism in Labour. That's what Labour need to do. Bring back Jeremy. Look, the other thing is, is the, the, the Conservative Party and Boris Johnson delivered something radical in Brexit. That is, that, I mean, in my lifetime, when you talk about politicians delivering something, the idea of politicians, there is all, you know, the worst cliches are that they're all as bad as each other, right? They overpromise and they underdeliver. But there was this thing, Brexit, and it was floating around British politics for a long time. No, nobody seemed able to grab it by the scruff of the neck and yet, you know, they made it seem impossible that he could reopen the withdrawal agreement. He did that. They made it seem impossible that he could get a trade deal in a year. He did that. And here we are outside the EU. And for now, it's not the absolute catastrophe a lot of people predicted that it would be. I would suggest that once we start going back on European holidays, it will. <laughs> Anti-Brexit sentiment will rise. You wait till you've got someone, a father of three in a fucking queue, in a two-hour queue, a passport control going into Alicante. Then you'll see some texts blue passports, man. I've got screaming toddlers around me. I've been here fucking two minutes. And it'll probably be somebody that actually voted leave. Uh, and also data Roman as well. That'll be the big moment. You know, when people just forget that. They just get pissed. You know what I mean? They're sitting on <laughs> they're sitting on their sun lounger, just fucking surfing Twitter, and then they get like a 400 pound phone bill. So those are those there will be spikes and troughs uh with Brexit. But then there's another dimension, of course, with Brexit. Is, is the second referendum, right? It wasn't that long ago that Labour, having pledged for a long time to honour the Brexit outcome, moved to a position of uh, advocating a second referendum, which, you know, when, you, when it comes to democracy, right, when people don't have much, when they don't have much money, power or status, when you vote, that is like the only time that you are equal with other people. So when I go in the polling booth, my, my vote is worth the same amounts as Jacob Rees-Mogg or fucking... 
Brian Cox. <laughs> um, and, you know, you, you have the same rough level of status and, and they unpicked that. They were the people that were supposed to be the guardian of that for working class people. So it's not that much of a surprise, is it? Is any of this that much of a surprise? Breaking news. British public don't give that much of a fuck about who paid for wallpaper, eh? Who could have seen that coming, that this thing that they fixated upon? And as I've said with the Tory cronyism, that, that's for another time. That will come around. But the, the level to which... And I said at the time, when, so when Keir Starmer did his funny little picture of him in John Lewis looking at wallpaper, I said... I fucking called it, hey, I, this is basically what I'm saying. Listen to fucking Jeff, I fucking called it, didn't I? I said that was too much. He looked fixated on it. That was the problem. He'd had his say at PMQs, and he did all right there. I think he was right to highlight certain things. But then he went and did his little gag, didn't he? The kind of gag that on social media, everyone's going, oh my God, fire, fire, burn, burn. Forensic care. Forensic care absolutely owned Boris Johnson with this photo of him looking at wallpaper. I mean, the problem with the photo of him looking at wallpaper is it seems to also simultaneously undermine what an uninteresting fucker he is. I mean, of, of all the jobs that you'll ever do, you know when you have one of those days come up when it's just, you've got a bit of a clear Saturday and you're sort of thinking, this could be nice. I mean, we've got nothing fucking planned. We're not going anywhere. And then the missus will be like, should we go and have a look at wallpaper? Oh, my God. I, I almost had a clear day there. And you, you've just suggested like probably the most tedious activity that anybody could do. Keir Starmer selected that for his banter, all right? And I think, you know, he's another North London liberal. And there's been a conveyor belt of them. Blair, Gordon Brown being the exception, then Ed Miliband, right? Jeremy Corbyn. And now at that point, at that point, they had a chance. They could have selected Andy Burnham. Hey, how about that? A sort of northern working class socialist. No, no, who do we want the membership one? We want that, that doddery old fucking backbencher, you know, that veteran lifer in the backbenches, simply because he wears the same badges as me. I've seen him a couple of times on the CND march. He's all about the Palestine. You know, that's my guy, Jeremy fucking Corbyn. We're selecting the guy that, if he won and became prime minister, it would almost be like a Disney version of who could become prime minister. It's not rooted in the real world. And then so Jeremy Corbyn has a disastrous uh, election result and then uh, they've got another chance. And who have they gone? Gone for Keir, Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer. That was a lamentful version of that. Keir Starmer, who looks like more North London than anyone you've ever met before. You know? He, just, <laughs> he can be more North London, right? It's like, it's like you're baiting... The people of the north, we're just going to, you know what? We're just going to keep fucking picking and you're going to like it. Who's the next, next cab off the rank, all right? We've had Keir Starmer. Do you know who we're having next? We're having fucking Richard Curtis. That's, <laughs> that's how much North London we've gone, all right? The fucking, our next, our next campaign video is going to look like a clip from Notting Hill. And then there's this other disconnect, which is the overall proposition of the left. He's just unappealing for a lot of working class people. You know, there was quite a few memes doing the rounds in the build up to polling day, which was Britain is shit, everyone's racist, vote Labour. Now, I'm not saying for a second that that was official <laughs> Labour slogan, but that's the impression people get. And this is the problem when the left as a whole in terms of social media and the way that certain corporate entities have co-opted Labour values. People look at what is the proposition of the, of the left? If I put these people in power, who exactly am I putting in power? And they see... 
they see these people and they feel ill at ease with it, you know? And when you, so when you see another virtue signaling advert, you know, and, you, and it makes you feel good, ask yourself, is that doing the movement of the left any good or is that just Sainsbury's fucking hopping on another hot button issue, you know? Or, wh- or when you see a Labour MP who declines to talk about St George's Day and then wants to talk about cisgender or transgender issues, just remember that, that you know, they, those, all those issues have a place, but the current prioritisation of those within the Labour Party because of the membership base, because of the, activi- the activist base, is, is way, way in advance in terms of what most British people see as priority. So really, when you, when you go through it on this basis, this is, once again... The least surprising, surprising set of of results. And, you know, I said it, you know, my predictions at the beginning of the year, I just don't see how the Labour Party can carry on in its current form. It's very hard for the public to vote for something which is fundamentally divided. Now, the Tories, (laughs) the Tories, when it comes to power, even on Brexit, right, there's different wings of the Tory party, but they love the power, don't they? They've been plotted up for that ever since Eton and Harrow. It's just they need it. It's, it's almost like Palpatine in Revenge of the Sith. Do what must be done, Lord Vader. That's what they'll do. They'll go, right, yes, master. <laughs> they love the power. Whereas Labour, they equivocate, don't they, between principles and power. And principles come first. And ultimately, if you want to make a difference in the country, as Tony Blair proved, just to trigger the old socialists, there's a compromise to be made and the left and the Labour Party as a whole currently are a long way off being able to make that sort of compromise. Okay, just a quick hype here. Quick hype for, well, it's about, the book's coming out Thursday of next week. So thank you so much to all the people that pre-ordered it. We are now in a position where but if you order it now, you can have it very soon. You can have it in your fucking hand. I've got a copy in my hand right now. Do you want to hear it? That is the that is the texture of the photo bit of my face. And look, even if you're not going to read it, I think it's worth it just for the shiny photo bit of my face because you think it's the same texture as the rest of it. Uh-uh, different texture, okay? So when you buy it, now I've had a tip-off from a couple of people that have written political books is that you have these kind of online numpties that basically want to do down anything that they disagree with. So once you've read it, if you think it was great, I need you to write reviews. Obviously, if you think it was shit, maybe keep that to your fucking selves. Come on, man. A bit of support here. I need you to write the reviews. Obviously, don't try and write the reviews before the book's out, because that's going to look fucking snidey, isn't it? But if you've read it, if you think it's really good, five-star reviews will help me massively, whether you bought it on Amazon or Waterstones. I think that they both have verified purchase, because what you'll see, if you're interested in this, just go and look at political books. What you'll see is the verified purchases are always a lot better. And then you get these fucking mentalists. Um, I won't mention the book of someone that I was looking at on this basis, but he's quite a sort of centre-left guy and they were literally accusing him of basically being a fucking Nazi uh, and clearly hadn't read the book. So that would be of great help for me. Look, every, with the way everything that's going with COVID, the, tour, the tour's happening, man. So if you've been hesitating about getting tickets... September, I blame the parents, is out and about all over England. I will be looking to add Scottish, Welsh and, well, I'd like to go back to Belfast soon. So I'll be looking to add all those dates in time. But some dates that you need to know are happening are Barnstable. I'm going to be in Barnstable, the Queen's Theatre. Uh, also going to be in North Northampton. I've never gigged in Northampton before, never toured there rather, at the Royal and Derngate. 
Mm, that sounds, no offence to Northampton, that sounds way fancier than anything I've ever known about Northampton. The Royal and Derngate in Northampton. <laughs> Look, I know Wellingborough's nice. Wellingborough's nice, isn't it? But get yourself into Northampton for that show. Also, Leeds, City Varieties, that's already, there are some sellouts already. Leamington Spa, Bath, Maidenhead, two of the London dates are gone. I think the Manchester one's almost gone. So genuinely, it's worth getting your skates on, even though this isn't happening till September. And the last day of the tour is I'm in Dirty Lee. I'm fucking Leeds, into Finishing tour in Leeds. Uh, a fucking Dory in Leeds. That's how it is now. And um, uh, it's we've already sold half of that, I think. And it's a big old room. So there's a suggestion there that that one is also going uh, to sell out. And I can't. I can't fucking wait to get out there. You know, now that essentially the North is all Tory, I can't wait to, you know, I just can't wait to go up and uh, commune with my people. Just a, a quick bit here on, and this was, you know, this was a big story up until today, but the the, the little sort of uh, tete-a-tete, the War of Jersey, the War of Jersey, where um, because of some new post-Brexit Rules on what French fishermen can catch or what fucking forms they got to fill out. I mean, look, first things first. The vibe I'm getting off French fishermen is they're not big form fillers, okay? <laughs> and I say this with a sort of grudging respect. You know, they don't give a fuck about rules. Uh, we share blockades of port of Jersey. Wait, St. Helens, is it? Or St. Helia? We go with fuck St. Helia. We shall blockade them. We will pull it to some trade federation shit. I don't know why all my metaphors today are from the Star Wars prequel trilogy era. But, um, so yeah, there's some form-filling stuff. And then a bit of argy-bargy. We love a bit of argy-bargy. Uh, the French fishermen try and blockade the port, right? And then there's some French politician says we might cut off electricity to Jersey. Bit of a big shout. And then Boris sends in the gunboats. <laughs> <laughs> you know like that, that old internet trope of, wow, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really did fucking escalate quickly. What it was was one of those situations that exposed the bullshit in a lot of people's thinkings on both sides, right? So I, up until we got the trade deal, Brexiteers were all about the fishermen. You know about the fishermen in this country, got to be able to cash our own fish. Fish is the most important thing. It's everyone's favourite dish, the fish. And then the Remainers, was when the deal happened and evidently fishermen didn't come off so great, they were like, I just feel sorry for the fishermen. You know, I've never mentioned fishermen in my life. And indeed, in the build-up to Brexit, I actually was quite dismissive of it as a sector. But now I, I, my heart goes out to the fishermen who can't sell fucking langoustines in Portugal. That's what I'm about. Then we get this. And then suddenly the Remainers think it's hilarious that French fishermen are blockading a port, siding with the fucking enemy, Siding with the fucking enemy. What has happened to this country? I mean, just imagine, right? Look at what look at what that French politician said about the electricity. Imagine, imagine if the Russians threatened to turn off the electricity. The the way that that would be seen as sort of like an almost fucking genocidal. I mean, it'd be a weird genocide, wouldn't it? That would be a genocide that nobody was expecting, wasn't it? Yeah, we got into yeah twenty twenty one, and then uh, the people of Jersey, man, uh, lest we forget. <laughs> Yes, we're going to turn off electricity for island of Jersey, up to and including Guernsey, but excluding Anglesey, probably. But they say in a French accent, and all the Romanians are like, so sophisticated. Oh my God, their heavy-handed nationalism just sounds so fucking cultured, you know? These people got no loyalty to their country. I know that sounds old-fashioned to say it, and maybe, you know, maybe Boris shouldn't have sent in the gunboats, maybe... But did anybody seriously think 
that there was going to be a war, you know, between Britain and France at this point in time. I mean, it's fucking, look, it was manna from heaven for the Tories, wasn't it? If you're coming out on polling day, you've already got, you've already got the economic news in the bag. You know what I mean? You've already got Keir Starmer just shunting his way around the, the fucking election trail as... Uh, I think Marina Hyde said it, and I know that. Like, I think she's a she's a great writer. Obviously, she's she's broadly from the liberal left, but she she said that he he seemed like a an out of town detective. <laughs> so you've already got Keir Starmer looking way out of place up north. And then, what do you want? What's on our shopping list? What's on our Christmas list? Dear dear Santa, please could I have a a skirmish with the French? Here you go, Boris. Here you go, Boris. Send out the gunboats. That's what you want to do. You know, when anybody comes prime minister, they want to they want to scramble a jet or two. That's one of the great things. I mean, you do see quite often with prime ministers and presidents, they often get a little war under their belt early on. It's just to get their eye in. You know, they like to feel bat on ball. Didn't Blair do it with uh, the bombing of Belgrade? Didn't he do that? Cameron had a little bit of little bit of a piece of Libya. It's just fancy. You know, they want a little they want a little cobra meeting. It's kind of exciting. I quite like a war. Not like a big war where loads of people get hurt. Just a little skirmish, you know. I mean, we know that to have a proper one, you would need labour in power. But just a little a little fracas. <laughs> They're almost like, um, you know, you know, with crowd trouble, you know, with football hooligans, where they have those organised things where they say, you send your best boys, right? Well, I'll send like 20 of ours. We just have a little thing, you know, just a couple of ships each. French send a little task force. We send a little defence force. Just see how it goes. Just see how it goes. It's been a while, you know, like a little military, <laughs> like a little military exercise, right? But it is so strange. It is hard for people to figure when you're like patriotic, like me, not nationalistic, but patriotic. You sort of think in that situation, you kind of, kind of, sort of circle the wagons around your own, right? You go, well, that's that's British territory. They're blockading the port. You know, and ultimately, a lot of people that are fans of the EU would often talk about how it's a rules-based organisation. It's just rules. You know, the EU is a rules-based... Here's, well, here's the new rules, right? Here are the fucking new rules. And they have to abide by them, just like we have to abide by them. I mean, we're the, the EU have been a bit stingy with their deal on financial service. So financial services and equivalents. What, we're going to suddenly have loads of hedge fund managers rocking up in the financial district of Paris... And block where well, they probably will for, for a nice fucking lunch. You know what I mean? Those boys on shareholder money, right? But look, I think what most people think is maybe don't send the gunboats in. But in a situation where uh, politicians from another country are talking about cutting off electricity and fishermen from another country are eagerly, illegally blockading a British port like some sort of fucking trade federation manoeuvre, then maybe we just show a little bit of national loyalty. Okay, we're just going to do a little bit of men's mental health here. As I mentioned in the top of the show about plugging the episode with Matt Marnie, um, I just read a bit of a letter that I got about this, and I think it is important because the thing is, right now we're unlocking. Yeah, a lot of us maybe we've. Oh my god, I just went to sound like a proper counselor there. Maybe we've sat on stuff, hmm? Hmm, guys. We've been sitting on stuff, fears, anxieties during lockdown. Just getting by. But the truth is, I think that the way that blokes' minds work is that we often have PTSD, right? You know, I think women will often, you know, it's probably healthier to express emotions as they're happening. I mean, here's a good example. Do you, you know when a woman is shit scared of something? Like, you walk in the room and they go, <laughs> right? But, like, I, I often feel that feeling when someone walks in a room. I just want to be strong and not show that. But where do all those, 
Where do they all go, guys? Mm, that's what I'm saying. So it might be that you're finding yourself surprised as things are unlocking, that you're having maybe more anxiety, I don't know, or maybe apprehension about about stuff. So I've certainly been thinking about that myself. And the episode with Matt has been getting a lot of feedback. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll keep this one anonymous, but this, I got a letter about it saying, I've just been uh, listening to the podcast with Matt Marnie whilst driving up the M6, fighting back the tears. I would say this, mate, I do a lot of my crying in the car. How fucking sad is that? <laughs> Especially when it's right. When you're wearing glasses and that, you can get away with it. Oh my God, that is, is that too sad to admit? It'd be a funny thing to get get pulled over by the old Bill, wouldn't it? Dangerous driving. Yeah, well, he was crying his eyes out and you'd be, <laughs> you'd be in court going, no, you, no, shut up. You were crying your eyes out, you fucking loser. Um, so this guy goes on to say, this could not have come at a better time. I've been feeling myself relapsing into the bad old days of anxiety recently. And this has given me the kick in the balls I needed to get my head back together. This is what I like about the way the men take control of their mental health, kicking the balls, get your head back together. This is positive language. And he just goes on to say that, that he'd kind of allowed things to slip. Uh, there was an issue with weight gain, which I think a lot of us would have had over um, the pandemic. And it can add up to a feeling of, sort of self-disgust, right? You know, and he, this episode, I think it was episode 85, um, as he says, uh, it sort of prompted him to, to seize it by the scruff of the neck. He says uh, he's currently 47, overweight, out of shape, and he hates himself. Um, and <laughs> I'll put it in that way, it's really fucking blunt, but I understand that feeling. And he says that otherwise, other than that, his life is great, but he just doesn't feel good about himself at the moment. And you know, what he found was the reassurance is that we we all have that feeling. That's one of the worst feelings. Whether you're dealing with grief, fucking depression, anxiety, the worst feeling is, is always like, is it just me? Am I the, am I the only one? Because everyone puts their fucking game face on. You go, am I just, am I fucking weak or something? And you're not. Everyone's going through this shit. I mean, I, over last week, I had a bit of a, a bit of a, a wobble, you know, and obviously I'm talking about this all the time. I'm talking a good game, but when it comes, it fucking comes and, and I'd been going on, you know, with getting the Radio 4 show out, uh, getting a Mail on Sunday article out. You're expending energy, a bit of manic energy all the time. And there's risk in that, you know, getting judgment and, and stuff. You don't really realise how it's building up. And then the first time in a long time, the other day, I was just sat there and I just had nothing to say. <laughs> you know, you sit with people you love and you care about and stuff. You go, I've got nothing to say. And the old, the old, as Churchill called it, the old black dog had descended. I mean, you probably, you know, probably, it doesn't matter what, look, it, the dog of depression had descended. Uh, I don't think this one like is a, um, like a big one, but it's certainly the tail end of a period of just, you know, maybe you yourself have had worries about your work and stuff. And maybe you don't realise just how much subconsciously you've been sitting on in just, just wanting or worrying about the things being all right. Right. And maybe, Maybe, guys, I'm going back to that. Maybe the point where things start to seem all right, you know, as things are unlocking, is the point where you can relax a bit and and have a bit, give that a bit of space, you know what I mean? A lot of these feelings, whether it's grief, depression or anxiety, you've got to let them have a little runaround, you know what I mean? You've got to let them like a, like a fucking puppy. You've got to let it in the garden, take a shit, bite something, destroy something, because you sort of think, well, it'd be better if, if nothing got destroyed. you got actually, it's just going to make them more crazy, you know? So I suppose it's just... it's just getting back down to the basics. I mean, Matt spoke about mindfulness, which again is one of these fucking, you know, it's a great theory, but some people see it as like a namaste type hey, mindfulness, but it's just stopping, slowing your brain down, isn't it? Going, oh yeah. I mean, they always sound wanky when you describe them. 
whenever people describe how to be mindful to me, it always sounds wanky, doesn't it? You go, yeah, look, that tree's particularly green, yeah. I'm just looking at a tree right now. It is it's really green, yeah. Mm, this, this drink tastes so sweet. It's a particularly good drink, you know. But it's just, all it is is just... It's just stopping that kind of background radiation type radio chatter noise uh, in your mind. So like I say, if you've got any kind of questions, I do like talking about the personal stuff on the show, but people don't often email in. Not just because I'm a nosy fucker, but, but I, you know, people have situations or feelings. I want to keep this going. So if there's anything that you want me to talk about or address, take the piss out of whatever, uh, email in what most people think UK at gmail.com and... Uh, Let's keep the conversation going on 107.7 Man Talk. Okay, we do have a few letters on the same theme here, which I alluded to earlier in the show. I'm going to pick the one Richard from Sheffield. Uh, He says, hi, Jeff. After watching the video of Keir Starmer, I've really committed to that there. I actually felt like a Gregorian monk. I don't even know if that was the style that I was singing in. After watching the video, now first up, if you haven't watched the video of Keir Starmer failing to box in the ring, watch it. It is sad. It's very sad. Uh, Can you name anyone who could not beat him in a fight? That's funny. Who could not beat Keir Starmer in a fight? You'd struggle based on that evidence. It looked like the first time he'd ever seen a boxing glove in real life was the first problem. And when he put them on, if you're being generous, they are cumbersome things. You know, proper boxing gloves are very sort of like, uh, they're very inflexible as well. But my God, my God, he just didn't have like any any fire in him. Do you remember when Ed Miliband was being interviewed by Jeremy Paxman about, you know, he said, do you want to be prime minister? And he was like, yeah, I do, I do as it goes. And Paxman went, are you tough enough? <laughs> and Ed Miliband went, yeah, sure, I'm, I'm tough enough, it's tough enough, tough enough. Oh. He just—he was asked that question. Something in him was like, Ugh. you know, deep down he knew he wasn't tough enough. And and look, you could say, well, does it matter, Jeff? Does it matter if a, a prospective prime minister can't throw a right hander? And I will say to you, yes, it fucking does. Okay, because we're, we're human beings at the end of the day. Boris, you know, the bulldozer. <laughs> I could drive a bulldozer. You know, got Brexit done. He can take out a Japanese kid with a rugby tackle. Evidently, rightly or wrongly, these things matter to the British public. So I would say that no, obviously, really, in terms of holding office, it doesn't matter. But if you've got any sort of, any inkling that you might make an absolute fucking mug of yourself, then just say to your advisors, yeah, my definition of good photo op would be one where I don't look like an absolute muppet. Okay, that is pretty much the end of the show here. We have a few reviewers, reviews of the show. If you leave five-star ones, I'll read out the ones on iTunes, but I will appreciate all the other ones and all the other platforms that I just can't fucking find. Uh, this is from Bert Smirk. Bert Smirk. I don't know why it's sounding a bit fucking Geordie. Uh, refreshing to hear a real working-class voice with measured opinions. We need more of this. Makes me feel less alone as a working-class lad in Hackney. In Hackney. Now surrounded by an episode of Upstairs, Downstairs. <laughs> Pioneering comes to mind. Keep soldiering on, comrade. Are you really a lefty in disguise? Well, I'm not, but I suppose what, what we're seeing at the moment is my position on the political dial is very common, right? So whatever that is, I'm that. Uh, this is from Gustamus. 
Customers, thank you for brightening up each week and allowing me to guffaw at your rants, which are often similar to my own thoughts. P.S. I've now even been brave enough to listen to this podcast with my more left-leaning wife within earshot. You brave bastard. I bet you fucking downed a whiskey out of a crystal decanter, smoked to the cigar and said, listen, love, I'm a man. I do what I want. Uh, this is from Wivy. Hey, Wivy, chirpy chappy. As a good balance between political comment and humour. It is good that the guests get the chance to talk freely. All the guests have been really good. Um, try this podcast. You might just like it. Uh, this one uh, says, this is from Ryan Morris. I don't know why it just sounds Australian. Is there an Australian bowler called that? He's fucking whatever. A delightful and refreshing podcast series. Overall, it is worth five stars. Only minus is that when he has his lefty mates on, he allows them to walk all over him. The sw- <laughs> Fucking stick their throat on their neck. I, I suppose, look, I'm not afraid of their opinions. This is what I think about opinions. I'm so certain that I'm fucking right, okay? I'm allowed people. I'm allow people to talk. That's how fucking. If you shout back, what does it mean? I just what I try and do when I get a left wing guest on is I'm looking for that one moment. Do you know what I mean? One little right wing booby trap. Um, Steve New at Hill. Hi Jeff. I'm not sure what my name is on this. <laughs> Think it's possibly my first name followed by the small Scottish village I grew up in. Could you take the piss out of it as Nicola Sturgeon? Um, great shout by the way. Great show. We'll buy the book. Well, you know. I mean, if Nicola Sturgeon was talking about your name, Steve, it's a good Scottish name, Steve, uh, Steve Newerthill. It's uh, uh, probably a name that came from a time before we were dominated by the bastards of Westminster. What this country needs, we don't need to focus on the pandemic. We need another indie referendum. I mean, it is amazing, isn't it? You know that game, Seven, De- Seven Degrees of Separation from Kevin Bacon, where you're just trying to work out how quickly Nicola Sturgeon could get from, I mean, I don't know if Spitting Image did a sketch about this. I'd just love to see a very basic sketch where she comes down in the morning and they're just, just how is she going to get from having her breakfast to advocate in a second independence referendum vote? Oh, look, she's seen the kilt on the guy at the Quaker Oats porridge and she's fucking off on one. Uh, this is from Mr. Smallhouse. Uh, for those of us in the Swiveling tribe who have given up watching TV or listening to radio, topical podcasts are how we find out what is happening in the world. Well, I worry for you if, if, if it's all from me. Uh, Jeff is essentially your sometimes funny mate. Sometimes funny. Oh, that's going on the tour poster. Uh, he feels guilty about his lapse in language and his appalling diet, as we all do. Uh, I've got, by the way, playing cricket, I've upped my KFC count. With the lockdown, I'd let things slip. I'm now every Thursday... On the way back, I supplement the 100 calories that I've burnt bowling slow right arm leg spin for 750 calories of KFC. Um, this is from English Dad 67. Found this podcast via Jeff's p- Twitter page. Sadly, it was already episode 83, so working my way backwards. I think we've already uh, read that one. So yeah, look, I hope uh, if you're if you're a conservative voter, you're feeling you know pretty chipper today, pretty and pretty. Don't, don't rub the lefties' noses in it. Do you know what I mean? That makes if that's what that's what they've been doing. You know, you want to go look. It's a it's a tough day. You've got. I mean, it would end up just sounding patronising. But equally, if, if you're a lefty and you really honestly want Labour to have any chance of future power, if you keep fucking losing, right, with the exact people that your party was set up to be the voice of then I would argue calling people stupid on Twitter is less important than sitting down and trying to work out what the fuck to do next.
Tchau.